Uh, my name's Eric Hansen, and I am one of the pastors here, and I also am for Boulder with love. If you've been uh, with us over the last couple of weeks, um, we have been seeking to unfold both this vision and our capital campaign, uh, where we are seeking to be as bold as we can about proclaiming that we will be a church and a people who are for Boulder with love. For some of us, this conversation has just started over these last couple of weeks. For some of us, um, we've been aware of this coming season, um, in some cases for months, which means, in my case, I actually have had some kind of conversation about being for Boulder with love um, with uh, five or six dozen people, probably at least. And I'm starting to hear over all that time four, five, six questions that are pretty consistent. And I want to just cover two of them today, and um, we'll, we'll try to take an uh, opportunity to cover some of the rest, like on a Wednesday, these Wednesday forums and Sunday forums that are coming up. Uh, but here's the first one. What if, I don't, what if I don't live in Boulder? What if I don't live in Boulder? We've been a church that's been here in this, uh, in this s- s- some part or whole city block for 148 years. And over that time, over the last uh, s- 148 years, we've, at, from time to time, asked and wondered, should we stay here? Should we still be a church that's in and uh, for Boulder? Is this a thing that we should continue to do? And every time, this is what we've realized— This is an exquisite tool for us to share and proclaim the gospel. That this home base, this shared space of ministry that we all have contributed to in in life and in resources is is actually, we don't want to let it go. It's absolutely extraordinary and unique. And we actually have a really unique way of seeking to live and share the gospel with this town. We're going to keep it. Because it is a beautiful place for us to enact our shared ministry. When we come together and we sing and we praise and we work shoulder by shoulder, we're we're doing something really important. And we have to choose somewhere. We have to choose somewhere. And what we've said actually is, is not new. We're sort of doubling down and accenting on the thing that's been true of us since we started. Together, when we're together, we want to live and proclaim the gospel of Jesus. We are for Boulder with love. For several decades now, we've had a ministry called Deacon's Closet. How many of you are aware of or participated even in Deacon's Closet in some way? Yeah. It's an extraordinary ministry where we seek to sort of offer, um, in the name of Jesus, emergency provisions, especially of clothing for those who are homeless or find themselves in a crisis. And do you know what? The the entire time that we have had a deacon's closet, we've never rented space in Longmont to do it. We've always said, this is the home base where we will enact our shared and combined ministry. This is going to be the place we're going to pour in together. Similarly, we've had a ministry called Kids Hope which is a tutoring ministry where we um, pair up mentor tutors with children um, who are at risk or in some other way uh, disadvantaged. 
And the entire time that we've done that ministry, um, we have been at an elementary, at an elementary school just about a, a mile and a half away. Do you know we've never chosen a school in Louisville? Do you know why? Because we are essentially saying we have, as a gift from God, a, a place from which we're going to enact our, our shared and our combined ministry. This is the place. This is the place where we are going to invite people to come and gather and sing and pray and praise and be exposed to the scriptures and learn something of God's heart and then work shoulder to shoulder in all sorts of ways and places. And then we scatter. We scatter. We gather up and we do some ministry together. We are four bolder with love. But it's our hope and our expectation and our desire that you'll be fed and nourished while you're here. And then you will go find what it means to to live the gospel in the place where God has planted you specifically. So we are both for Boulder and through you for your neighborhood and workplace. So when we say we are for Boulder with love, we're really, I think, seeking to really accent what has been true of us, but seeking to be even more clear about it, more inviting about it. And we want you to be part of that. Whether your zip code is right here in the heart of the city or scattered somewhere else in Longmont or Louisville or Erie or Lafayette or Netherlands. That's all part of it, friends. We gather and we scatter. And when we're gathered, we seek to be four bolder with love, to uniquely proclaim the beauty of the gospel here as we have for 148 years. The other question um, that I have been getting for the last um, two weeks since we've announced our name change of Grace Commons Church is that question. Are we, are we still Presbyterian? Uh, friends, yes. We are still Presbyterian. And if I can just be really as clear about this as I possibly can, there's probably in the room people who are, there's no one in the room more committed to Presbyterianism than Daniel and Jane and Carl. And I guess me. Who else here has uh, their master's degree sort of staked on a course of study in theology or um, has been ordained in this denomination or has our life insurance attached to it <laughs> or their retirement. So I just want you to know, when we have changed our name, we're not doing it because we're fleeing our Presbyterianism. We're going we're gonna to keep on being Presbyterian, as far as I can tell, for as long as it's up um, to me and to our elders. We're really committed to all the important things that being Presbyterian means. And that, that means that we're committed to sort of a, a certain understanding of God's grace, how it pervades all of life. We're committed to being run as a church in a certain way that's run by elders. That's what Presbyterian means, presbyteros. So it's not just a senior pastor who's in charge, but our elders 
have set the direction for our church. Those things will continue. We also, friends, we are so eager to be clear. We are so eager to be clear. Several months ago, I was, uh, I was at the grocery store, and I think maybe it's the beard, but I have like Presbyterian pastor written on my forehead or something. And uh, I just was, I don't even remember how this happened, but I was in the, having this conversation in the aisle with this um, person who um, found out I was a pastor, found out I was a pastor downtown, found out I was a pastor here at First Presbyterian Church. And then she said, well, I'm not Presbyterian. Can I still come? Now, that might sound like a ridiculous question to the people who are in this room. But if you're not acquainted with Christianity, if you don't actually know the story and person of Jesus, and Christians for the longest time look like crazy to you, it's a fair question if you need to have a card to get into the building. We want to we wipe that away. We want to be Presbyterian without having to shout we're Presbyterian because it's not the most important thing about us. Just yesterday, I was getting my, my iPad repaired for this uh, travel that Daniel and I are going to be on, and um, the woman who was uh, helping me shared with me that uh, she lives uh, in Boulder, and she goes to Unity. And then I, again, I don't know what it is about me, but then I showed her our little corporate account thing, so I got our little like 5% revenue discount or whatever, and she's like, oh, you work for a church. Yeah. What's Presbyterian mean? I'm not even kidding. These things happen to me all the time. Wouldn't it be great if she said, what's grace? Wouldn't that be great? And friends, when our elders have said it's time for us to change our name, it's not because we're, we're running away from our Presbyterianism. It's because we are seeking to run to the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we want what we call ourselves to be as, as exquisitely clear as we possibly can. Swiping away as, as much confusion as there might be possible and still have the word like, grace and Collins and church in them. Those big questions that we want to have asked. So, friends, we're still a Presbyterian. I'm, I'm here out of conviction. I wasn't born a Presbyterian. I wasn't a Presbyterian until I was almost 31 years old. I chose this crazy for a reason, and I'm staying. But it's also not the most important thing. We want to major in the majors. So we've been working over this, uh, over this series, uh, working our way through our new name, Grace Commons Church, is next week. And then after that, we'll, uh, we'll preach with the phrase, for Boulder, and then the phrase, with love. And last week, we started with grace. And man, was it fun. It's just so fun for me to just talk and preach about Grace. To remind us all that grace in the Bible is, is, uh, is actually it's a greeting. It's an intended blessing. That grace is a, is a gift that we both receive to then be a gift to others. Grace is a gift. And then grace is this one-word summary of the gospel. 
And we want all three of those things as a church, greeting, gift, and gospel. We want to be the shared space and the the community resource where those things can be seen and, and understood. And, you know, the great thing about preaching through grace is it's like used dozens upon dozens of times in the Bible. Do you know what word is not used even once in the Bible? Commons. So, let's pray and see what the Lord has in store for us today, okay? Uh, Lord, you are so good. Thank you for um, this church's eagerness to know you and follow you, to love you and proclaim the goodness of a life lived in you. So I pray that you would speak to us with clarity about how these things are good for us when we're here together, gathered, and also how they are beautiful for us to live independently and scattered in the places where you have planted us. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you. If you are our Lord, rock, and redeemer, and all God's people said, Amen. All right, so first, what is a commons? Simply a commons uh, in English, it's just a, it's a gathering place. It's a, it's a piece of land designated for shared use. In some towns like Boston, they have a common that's a park where people sort of gather to, to meet or go to concerts or protest. They have all these different things. How many of you had some sort of a commons or a quad or something like that on your university campus if you have been to university? Yeah, most of us have some sort of place that was like the designated place to sort of gather where those intersections happened. It's a place where people say, I'll meet you there. It's a place where the arts can get sort of celebrated and provided for. Commons is a place where people can rest and be refreshed, where they can play and discover and connect. When communities offer a commons, they're really hoping to offer something of a, of a communal and, and shared blessing, regardless of who you are, what your perspective is. And when we say we are for Boulder with love and we name ourselves Grace Commons, that's what we're saying. We're saying that we want to um, be offered as a people for communal blessing. That's what God calls us to. And when we read the scripture, we can see that God is calling us to something. He is calling us to be concerned for the commonwealth, the common good of our community. We're called to invest in the, in the, the common life, regardless of religious commitment of those who are around us. We're called to develop patterns of hospitality and welcome and proclamation and service, sort of a vision, a good vision of a shared life for all. That's what we mean by commons. But you don't see the word in the Bible. Instead, you have to sort of think a little bit about what you're observing in the New Testament. Here are a couple examples. One of them, uh, here's two examples. One from the life of Jesus is the Sermon on the Mount. When Jesus sort of lays out his vision of what it means to live in God, to follow him with joy and expectation, and to, to have a transformed life, he, he's speaking to hundreds of people, maybe even more, in shared space. It's not in a synagogue. It's not someone's property. He just sits down 
and everyone's standing to listen to him. It's kind of the reverse of what we do now. And people who are walking by, who may or may not be curious, who want to engage, who, res- who resist engagement, they're all part of the story. Part of what we see is Jesus saying there's, there's large-scale sharing a proclamation that can be um, enacted as we share the goodness of God. But then he also shares this, we see this story from uh, John, the Gospel of John, chapter 4. And what we see is there's a well that a woman has gone to in the middle of the day, and people go to this well all the time because there's no kitchen sinks with running water. By default, it became kind of a common space, a shared space where, where meetings and sort of accidental conversations and maybe some gossip could take place. And in this common space, Jesus sits down and we have recorded for us this really intimate, um, gentle conversation between Jesus and this woman. Where just in a one-on-one way, he can say, do you want something that will always satisfy Do you want something that will be eternal? And when we think about a commons, friends, what we see actually is something that allows for both of those. Both sort of large group interaction, community experience, all those things, and simultaneously the kind of intimacy of one-on-one conversations where we can really wrestle and wonder, is Jesus really for me? Does he really love me? What we see is Jesus taking advantage of common spaces for people to know him. And then we see this really, uh, the closest thing we have to the use of the word commons, um, even in the story of it, is in the book of Acts, after Jesus has um, been risen up to heaven. Um, the story and the mission of God starts to expand outward, and one of those is uh, with a guy named Paul. And uh, whenever he travels from town to town, he always starts with a synagogue. He says, I'm going to start with people who kind of know some of the story of Yahweh, sort of know the story of Israel, um, and then I'm going to sort of start sharing the gospel. And he almost always ends up sharing it with um, those who don't know anything of the story, with Greeks, as they called them, which was like word for everyone not Jewish. And this is, one of those, uh, this is one of those times. And so what we're going to see is he's, he's in the synagogue, he's, and some people hear that he's got this kind of this interesting teaching they'd never heard of in Athens. And Athens is this very philosophical, highly educated place. So they call him to the Areopagus, to Mars Hill, which is this space that's specifically created for common space and experience, and also where the city council sat. And he shares the gospel. It's a, it's a long story, so follow along. Just pretend it's like bedtime reading without falling asleep, okay? Here we go. While Paul was waiting for his friends in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. 
Then they took him and they brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears. And we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said this, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing that you say you worship, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you, this unknown God. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands and as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far right now from any one of us. For in him we live and we move and we have our being. Now, some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man that he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by even raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. But others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. At that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. Some have asked us, why not Grace Community? Why Grace Commons? Why not, why not use that word community? Well, friends, um, Besides the fact that there are literally hundreds of Grace Community Churches, and on Easter there will only be one Grace Commons, there are some other reasons, too, for us. The thing about the word community is that it will always indicate that there is an inside and an outside. It will always indicate that there are people who um, are welcome and people who are not. And the thing about the word common is it indicates is we've specifically said we want to be the place where collision happens. 
We want to be the kind of place where you don't have to wonder if you're in or if you're out to come. A commons is a place that is just buzzy with relationships and with ideas, with opportunity and with discovery. That's what we want. We want to provide that kind of space so people can know God's grace. That's the kind of church that we are. Grace, commons, church. Uh, Commons is at that intersection of surprise, of unexpected connection, and that's what we want. Not for ourselves, but for those who have not yet heard the good news of Jesus. That's what we want. Biblical scholars totally geek out on this sermon that we just read. I mean, there are gallons of ink that are shed, kind of trying to pick this thing apart and understand, right? This is like the model that we have from Paul about how to preach the gospel to people who um, don't know Israel's God. And man, is it a lot. And I just want to point out sort of three things for us in the middle of all of that. Here's the the first thing that I want us to notice about Paul's preaching in this moment that's good for us to know. The first one is this. Find common ground. Do you notice he stands up and he doesn't say, you guys are a bunch of hypocrite sinners. It's like, hey, I noticed you're really religious. You're so religious, you have a statue to an unknown God. I happen to worship that God. Let me tell you about him. He stands up and he finds some common ground. We can do that. There's so much of our shared experience as um, Americans in Boulder County that you have much, much, much in common with your neighbors who don't know Christ. Another way to say this is to think about the difference between front yard living and backyard living. Front yard living and backyard living. Uh, two summers ago, we had some friends in our neighborhood who were um, moving out of the state and they, they left with us their, uh, their yard furniture. And uh, because we were busy and because sometimes I'm lazy when it's hot, um, we just moved it to our front yard. I set it up under this big shady tree and uh, I was like, I'll take, we'll take care of it later. In fact, mostly because I'm lazy, I thought it looks great right there. And then we had some friends over uh, for dinner. And they came into our house because it was super hot. And we had the air conditioning on. And um, we made some food. And there was like, you know, um, the, the, the man of this, uh, this family, we kind of stood on the back porch in the shade and drank some beer and made some food and kind of talked. And then we... We uh, came into the house and we sat at our dining room table with the air conditioning on because it was so hot and it was delightful. It was so fun. And then about two-thirds of the way through the dinner, we started hearing all sorts of noise outside our window. And we turn and I look and there are three couples, six adults and their kids who are all using our furniture. (laughs) They're just sitting there talking, laughing, having a great time. They pulled over a couple of extra chairs because we didn't have enough. Sorry. One of them brought over a couple bottles of wine. Someone else brought some snacks. We did not invite them over. And I learned something that day. 
we finished our dinner. We had this really wonderful time. And as, they, as this family left, we introduced them to all of our neighbors. And then we sat there with our neighbors and talked until probably, I don't know, 10.30, 11.30 at night. And what I realized is there's something very different between front yard living and backyard living. And when we say that we want to be a place where people discover God's grace, it's more front yard than backyard. It's more interaction than protection. It's more surprise than control. It's more hospitality, less entertaining. When we say that we want to be Grace Commons Church, we're interested in front yard living because of the people that we can invite into our little controlled circumstances. Nope. Wine and cheese and more people than furniture is what we're aiming for. So the first thing is we need to find some common ground and do it in a really bold way. Secondly, the thing I want you to notice is how in the middle of all that, Paul really holds on to essential ground. What he's noticed is there's people who are sort of like just fascinated with ideas and philosophy and um, Stoics and Epicureans and, um, you know, he's like, I want you to know who, not what. And I'm going to do it without apology. I know what I'm going to say to you is going to sound foreign, maybe confusing, maybe even offensive. But I'm going to hold on to what is absolutely central and essential about this story of Jesus. Even in the midst of all the chaos and all the things that happen in the commons, he says, here's the story. You have been made lovingly crafted. And in that God, you now are even allowed to take your next breath. Go ahead and take it. Thank you, God. And that God can see that you are a spiritual shipwreck. That's all going to crash. And in love, that God didn't keep you in that circumstance, but He came in the flesh. And he died as an atonement for sin. Taking your sin and your death with him to the grave. But death couldn't hold him down. He rose again. And now he sits in the heavens and he's promised us that we can also have an an eternal resurrected life because of him and through him. And because of that, there's a way for us to live with courage and gratitude and joy and clarity. Here's what I know, friends. When we start having interactions with people who are disagree and are confused and and want to sort of push in on some other viewpoint, we're going to, at times, we're going to be tempted to sort of back away from things that feel like they're essential to our faith. Ah, I I know that one's hard. I, I, I guess I don't believe that right now either. But what we see from Paul, actually, is this, this completely sort of unapologetic, gentle, loving clarity. 
We're going to hold on to the essentials of what it means for us to live and proclaim Jesus Christ. We're going to live in the front yard, and we're going to do it with gentleness and clarity. So we're going to hold on to that essential ground. And finally, you can sort of imagine that a commons garden is it's going to be messy. It's not going to be all, all sunshine and rainbows and unicorns because unicorns don't exist. Um, Golden Gate Park uh, in San Francisco. Raise your hand if you've ever been to Golden Gate Park. It's this extraordinary park. It's over a thousand acres big, and much of it is beautiful. It's really carefully manicured. The traffic flow is extraordinary. Like the lawns, you, you can just putt on lawns that people are kind of just hanging out on. They're throwing frisbees. It's great. But there are also sections of Golden Gate Park where um, the grass has not been mowed where people have um, made human mess, and so have their dogs. And no one's going to clean it up. It's going to kind of eventually kind of just fall into the soil. There are places at Golden Gate Park where the park benches are so old and dilapidated, they're sagging under their own moss. It's not all pretty. And when you read this passage, what you see actually is as, as, as Paul shares the gospel, some like, yeah, I love that. I'm in. I didn't even know. Now I know. Praise the Lord. And some, some are like, well, I think you're kind of weird, but I want to come back and hear some more. And then there are some who sneer who mock, who not only disagree, but belittle Paul. And that will be part of our story too. The commons is, might be messy. And that's okay. That's part of living the gospel in a complicated place. Friends, when we say we are Grace Commons Church, we're inviting all of that. We're creating a commons, a shared space to know God's grace, and we're doing it because we are called people of God. We're a church. That's what this name means. That's what we're about. To wrap up, I... Um, uh, there's probably, I don't know, 15 to 20 of um, you in our church who um, write me regularly really thoughtful, challenging things. There's uh, someone in our church who um, writes me about 15 to 20 poems a year in regards to what she sees in worship and in our church life. I get like paragraphs of thoughtful interaction. It's not necessarily grumpy. It's just like, hey, you're my pastor. I want something to share with you. I love it. And as we end, I want to share this one thing, this one part of an email that came to me from one of those kinds of people uh, this weekend. 78-year-old man's been here for uh, longer than I've been alive. And um, here's what he uh, wrote about our church and the direction. He says, but in the world of grace, as you know far better than me, 
To borrow from hymns in my past, there are fonts of every blessing. Acceptance, inclusion, forgiveness, refuge, salvation. All those qualities that we expect church to be. Now, having hammered all this out, it occurs to me that while in a legal, historical, and formal way, First Press may continue as a church, that she has now returned to what the church has always meant to be, a commons, unlimited, inexhaustible, welcoming, accepting, outreaching, and available. Sounds good, huh? We're going to do that, but not without you. Because the church, first and foremost, is not a building, it's a people. We need you to live out grace. The front yard of the commons. The boldness of being God's people together. I pray for you. Lord, thank you for the men and women, teenagers, boys and girls who are in this room. I hold them up to you and know, Lord, that what we've been asked to do, we cannot do without you. In you, we move and live and have our being. So I pray for um, all those who are in this community, who are part of this exploration for how we can be grace, commons in a church. I pray for courage, clarity, joy, boldness, gentleness. Fill this people with your Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, amen.